Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Again, friends, welcome on into episode 155 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. We're already in December. You know, as crazy as this year has been, it's flying by. This season is flying by. We are on to week 13 and we are on to the Los Angeles Chargers. That's going to be the focus of today's show. In the first half, we're going to talk about Justin Herbert because out of all the storylines of this NFL season, and there are myriad, the success of Justin Herbert, I think, is one of the biggest stories there is because it's a window to quarterback development. It's a window into quarterback evaluation. And I want to take some time and talk about how they have used him this year, what he does well, and things that we need to be ready for when the Patriots and the Chargers square off this weekend. In the second half of the show, we're going to spend some time on the passing game, specifically what has worked against the Chargers, what the Chargers do in pass coverage, and how the Patriots have had success against that. But before we do anything else, our usual cavalcade of reminders here at the outset, please check out the work. Variety of places, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, Pat's Pulpit. And yes, there is USA Today Touchdown Wire. I would recommend and plug at the outset. I did a piece, Carson Wentz, a seam story that went up late Tuesday morning. And for those of you that watched Monday Night Football, you might remember a play near the end of the first half where the Eagles basically ran four verticals. Once tried to throw a, a comeback route, a vertical route that converted to a comeback along the right sideline to Jalen Ragor. He kind of stared it down, hung on it forever, then threw it, and J- Jamal Adams almost undercut it for an interception. In the aftermath of that play, both Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy kind of lost their collective minds because it was a single high coverage, and you had two seam routes from each slot receiver running basically uncovered on either side of the football. And Wentz never looked at them. And Riddick lost his mind about how Wentz never looked there. And Greasy talked about how seam routes against single high coverage, that's what you want to throw, that's your read, that's your progression. And over the course of the night and into the next morning, my mind started spinning because I had highlighted that in a video about Wentz last week, about how he missed that read. 
And then something clicked in my mind, and it brought me back to the once wars of the spring of 2016 when I was on the Hill defending Carson Wentz. There was a play from Wentz in his final year at NDSU against North Dakota where they ran four verticals out of a three-by-one, and he hung on the outside route that converted to a comeback and just stared at it and stared at it and stared at it and then threw it. And so many people in the sort of draft Twitter world were like, look, this is the problem with him. He can't read progressions. He locks on to his first read. And I tried to defend him. And I put on the armor, donned the shield and the sword, and wrote an entire piece, you know, defendant's reply brief, draft evaluators versus Carson Wentz, that is still up, although the film isn't. It's still up at inside the pylon. And I defended him. And I remember after that piece, the piece got posted to like a Browns Reddit. And somebody was like ripping me because single high coverage, read the seams, and both seams, the seam from the middle trips receiver and then the bend and vertical route from the inside trips receiver working from right to left were wide open. And I knew that was right, but I didn't want to turn my back on my position. And so I thought of that play. And so I put together a piece, it's at USA Today, with a video breakdown of all three of those moments. And what you're seeing is Carson Wentz regressing into what he was at North Dakota State. The reasons for that, I don't know. I think there are some that think that they're trying to simplify things for him. There are some that think that there's a lot of stuff going on. There are some that think that there's comfort issues and trust issues. I think it's everything. But Wentz certainly isn't the player he once was. Now, somebody that's also not the player that he once was, albeit in a good way, is Justin Herbert. Because Herbert was one of the upper-tier quarterbacks in last year's draft cycle. But he certainly didn't get the kind of buzz that a Joe Burrow and a Tua Tungvaloa got, even though, for many... Herbert and Tua were like 1-2-2-1 two, two, one going into last year. Then you had the rise of Burrow. And for many people, myself included, Herbert was a bit of a difficult evaluation because Oregon's offense didn't really do him many favors. You know, you're tuning in to see a senior quarterback and he's running bubbles and tunnels and smokes and swing screens and they're not letting him do much down the field. They're not letting him use his arm. They're not letting him attack the middle of the field as much as you'd like to see from an NFL prospect. Now, ultimately, where I came down on Herbert was here. The scheme fit and the landing spot were going to be critical. My conclusion for him at USA Today, my draft profile of him read as follows. Despite the weaknesses in Herbert's offensive system, there is a, quarter, a talented quarterback inside who is waiting to be unlocked by consistent coaching and development. His arm strength and ability to attack leverage with well-placed throws to all areas of the field will be his calling card early in the league, as will his athleticism. If placed into a spread-based offense that looks to attack downfield off of play action, 
but also incorporate some West Coast elements for him, he would be in a spot to succeed. Some offensive systems, however, such as New England's, would require more of a developmental curve. And this is one of those instances where I'm glad that I always fold in the scheme fit part of it. Because if you look at how Shane Steichen and Pep Hamilton have used him this year, there is a lot to back that statement up. Play action, stuff downfield, throwing against leverage. What has been unexpected from where I sit, however, is how well Justin Herbert has handled pressure in the pocket. For many people, this was a huge weakness for him. He didn't quite handle pressure off the edges, pressure in his face that well. Even with his incredible athleticism, which is very good for a quarterback, he didn't have it in him to move, slide, escape, and create inside and around the pocket. That has been completely different this year because this year, one of his strengths, in addition to the downfield stuff and making throws against leverage, is how he's handled pressure in the pocket. Whether it's blitzers off the edge, blitzers up the A-gaps, somebody breaking free up front... He's found ways to create, to move, to extend while not breaking down in those moments. And to illustrate that, Pro Football Focus charts what they call their under-pressure statistics. They title it as, Dealing with pressure is a huge part of playing quarterback in the NFL. This report reflects performance on plays in which pressure was registered. And one of the ways I like to look at these numbers is first through what they call their adjusted completion percentage. And in terms of adjusted completion percentage, what they're looking at there is the percent of aimed passes thrown on target, completions plus drops. And as it probably won't surprise you, Drew Brees leads the league in adjusted completion percentage when pressured. Adjusted completion percentage of 81.7. Second is Teddy Bridgewater, 81.1. Now, Bridgewater has thrown six interceptions versus one touchdown when pressured. Breeze has thrown three touchdowns and one interception while pressured. Then there's Justin Herbert. And we'll look at his numbers here. Because in terms of those pressure numbers for Breeze, he's been pressured on 80 dropbacks. Bridgewater on 129. For reference, the two most pressured quarterbacks in the league are Carson Wentz with 180, and he has an adjusted completion percentage of 58.3. And Russell Wilson, who's great under pressure, adjust, he's been pressured on 180 dropbacks as well, but has an adjusted completion percentage of 74.3. Number three in terms of pressure dropbacks, Daniel Jones, 166. Adjusted completion percentage of 63.4. And then there's Josh Allen. 165 pressure dropbacks. Adjusted completion percentage of 65.8. 
Fifth in the league in terms of the most dropbacks when pressured is Justin Herbert with 160. So he's been pressured fifth most in the league according to chart and data from Pro Football Focus. His touchdown to interception ratio on that, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. His eight touchdowns is behind Tannehill, Wilson, and Allen, who are all tied with nine. Herbert's only thrown two interceptions under pressure. And to return to that adjusted completion percentage mark, remember Breeze was number one, 81.7. Bridgewater, number two, 81.1. Justin Herbert's at number three, 74.8. And for those of you that still believe in NFL passer rating, Justin Herbert has an NFL passer rating of 98.1 when under pressure this year, which is the best in the league. Now, I've qualified this by quarterbacks with half of their team's dropbacks. And so it filters out people like, say, Philip Walker, who would right now lead the league in NFL passer rated under pressure with 122.4, but he's started one game. Or Matt Barkley, who would be second with 112.5, but he's had two pressure dropbacks. Justin Herbert has been great under pressure this year. If there's something that has confused him, however, it's rotated safety looks at the snap. You pour through his interceptions. You see the mistakes that he's made. They've come when the safeties sort of do something different after the snap. And a prime example of that was the interception he threw last week against Buffalo in a one-score game at the middle of this, at the end actually, of this strange sequence of events where the Bills fumbled, Chargers got a field goal. Bills fumbled, Chargers had to punt. Bills threw an interception, Herbert comes back and throws an interception. And on that interception, they show too high before the snap, they spin it down into a cover three buzz, Herbert tries to throw the over route, stares at it the entire way. Maybe he's thinking, okay, I know the rotation because I've seen it. I'm looking at it. I can try to get this throw, this bend in route to my tight end working from left to right over the underneath defenders. But since he stares at it, Trey White, the backside corner, just reads his eyes and jumps it. And so he's very good under pressure. But if you're going to force mistakes from him, you have to be able to rotate your safeties and show him different looks post-snap. Something the Patriots have been able to do at times against quarterbacks both this year and previous years. And something I'll be looking forward to to see if they try that against Justin Herbert. But I'm very excited to watch this matchup of Bill Belichick against Justin Herbert because Herbert has become one of those rare rookie quarterbacks that almost dictate to you as a defensive coordinator what you can and cannot do. And that's pretty impressive. Up next, we're going to talk about the Patriots passing game. I know there's not a lot to talk about or be excited after last week, but hey, there are some opportunities this week, and we'll talk about them next here in episode 155 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 155 of the Sco Show. Going to talk about the Patriots passing game right now as we look ahead to the Los Angeles Chargers. I also want to sort of give a preview for next week. We're going to have the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams have an incredible defense. So we'll be talking to Seth Galina of Pro Football Focus, who did an incredible piece a couple of weeks ago on the Rams defense and how Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator, sort of reinvented the defense game. So look for that later next week. Let's talk passing game. And as we often have done when we talk about the Patriots passing game, in particular looking ahead to the upcoming opponent, it's a bit of a good news, bad news situation. because And, and we know basically the bad news, right? Patriots passing game, Houston aside, Seattle aside, hasn't been great. And yes, it's led to some recent chatter about whether Jared Stidham should get a shot, whether Cam Newton should be benched, all of which think I think is pretty absurd at this point, given that you still are in the playoff hunting. I think we've kind of seen Jared Stidham at this point, and as much as people like myself thought that there was something there, we get things wrong. Shocker. So the bad news is in part that the fact passing game hasn't been great. Now we fold in some good news. Chargers' pass defense hasn't been that great either. Teams can make throws against them. And what's interesting about the Chargers as a defense, in terms of the coverages that they play, this should be, on paper, a get-right opportunity. Why? Out of their 706 defensive snaps, Chardon has them with 329 snaps in basic standard cover three. Now, there's even some variations you could add in there from the chart and data that I've got, such as three match and things like that. But if just straight cover three, spot drop style cover three, 329 of their 706 defensive snaps, that in straight just cover three stuff, 46.9% most in the league. Then there's Carolina and then Seattle, some teams you would expect to be high in that as well. Patriots, as you would expect, nowhere near that number. And so generally speaking, you hear that you're going to be facing a spot drop cover three type team. It's Bring out your cover three beaters. Things I've talked about for years on this show. Haas, Mills, Yankee. Exit enter concepts, things like that. And you think, fantastic. And you dive into the numbers a little bit deeper. I was charting the Chargers defense this week. Of the 26 plays in the passing game this year that have been a gain of 20 yards or more with an intended air yards of 10 or more. Okay? Because I'm trying to filter out like busted screenplays and things like that, like plays where you're really relying on the concept. 
Of those 26, 14 of them came with them in cover three. Nine of them, they were in cover four. And so you're even thinking, hey, maybe there's some opportunity for some middle-of-the-field open-type stuff. Here's the problem. We circle back to some bad news. New England has had 22 offensive plays this year where they gained 20 yards or more, and they had intended air yards of 10 or more, the same sort of criteria. Again, this is my chart and stuff. I might have missed a play here or there because I'm old. Five plays came against cover three. Just five of those. One against cover four. The bulk of them, seven of them, came against cover one. Now, why? Because if you're a defensive coordinator facing the New England Patriots this year, you're going to play man coverage because you're not really worried about anybody. And you're going to put guys down in the box because you're worried about the run. And to spin it back to the Chargers, well, of those passing plays that they gave up, three of them, they were in cover one. And they played cover one 15% of the time, 107 defensive snaps. Now, maybe... If you want to take a wild glass half full look at this and say, there's an opportunity here, you can go all crazy scheme, crazy scheme, crazy scheme and think the Chargers are going to want to play cover one because that's what other teams are doing. It's a copycat league, Mark, but they don't play it a ton and they've given up some big plays and we can hope for that and then maybe that that will play into New England's hands. But I think once you start sort of going down that road of thinking that a team's going to get out of what they do and are most familiar with and their identity to slow up the New England Patriots passing game, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe, maybe if you are the Los Angeles Chargers, if you're Anthony Lynn, who, by the way, is probably going to get fired, because again, if you look at some of the sequences in that Bills game last week, they weren't great. If you're a defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, who is a cover three guy, you might think, well, you know, we will play cover one this week because we got to stop the run. Or you might play a lot of three-type buzz, dropping that safety down into the box anyway. And so we can hope. Now, the route concepts that New England has had success on against cover three this year, there are really two. That cross and route off of play action. They hit that twice for big gains, you know, 20 yards or more, 10 or more intended air yards. One was the deep crosser to Edelman back in week two, where Jamal Adams tried to robot technique that. And that went for a gain of 26. And the other was a gain of 22 back in week eight against Buffalo. Damier Bird in the left slot, play action, cover three. And it was the same exact play. You had a receiver in the right flat. Newton looks there first, pulls the corner down, 
And then you get the crossing route from the left slot. Same route Edelman ran against Seattle in week two. And you get the corner that's bit down on the route in front of him. Get defender trying to robot technique it. And you get the game. The other play that worked well against cover three was one of those sort of exit-enter concepts. This was against the 49ers. Back in week seven, it was a 23-3 game at this point already, but it was a first and 10, third quarter, 14-04 mark. They come out with Newton under center, 21 personnel in the game, slot left look, play action. Myers is in the slot. He starts across the middle like he's going to run that crosser off of play action, but then breaks to the outside. So it's kind of like an angled out route. The receiver on the outside, Damier Bird, runs the go. That's the exit. He pulls the corner. Bird then comes back the enter on this sort of angled, circular type of out route, and he's wide open. So crossers off of play action and this exit-enter concept have been what has worked against cover three this year for New England. The other plays that worked, I know I mentioned there were five. One was a Myers just straight go route against cover three late in the first half against San Francisco. You know, they're basically playing real soft coverage, and it's a YOLO-type throw. Actually, I charted it. I'm looking at it, Ron. Um, it was more of a dig route. It started as a go, and then sort of a scramble drill converted to a dig. And the other one that really worked against cover three, if you remember back to week two, Edelman, that deep post route, that came late in the fourth quarter, the 301 mark, where it's basically verticals on each sideline, deep post route. Jamal Adams tried to sort of match it. Newton opened to the right, moved the safety, and then threw the post route. Now, that's worked for them too. So the long and short of it is there's not a lot to go on, but I do expect them, the Chargers, to play a lot of cover three. These are the concepts that have worked. Will it be enough? We'll know Sunday. But either way, I'll be back here Monday morning to break it all down on episode 156 of the SCO Show. Please, friends, if you can, um, it's been a while since I've asked, but drop some reviews and things like that. Um, they do help. Um, if you could tell your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones about the show, that would be great too. Um, show's doing great. Numbers are great. I'm thrilled. But hey, the more the merrier. Um, until next time, though, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Tell them about the show. Wash your hands. When you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots' reigns down in Foxborough.